Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Happy New Year! I think it's the first time I've been here this year, isn't it? Think so? Guess what? No? Have I been here since? Have I? Uh, anyway, guess where I was New Year's Eve? I went to London to um, watch the fireworks, you know, and uh, it cost £15 to stand on the embankment. It was awful. We all wanted the toilet, all 10,000 of us, and um, next year I'm going to watch it on the telly. <laughs> It's always been on my bucket list, you know, to go down to Big Ben and be there. And But, um, yeah, I was sort of st- stuck under a tree. But um, anyway, to God be the glory. Why don't we turn in our Bible to the book of Daniel? Daniel and uh, chapter 3. I've got, it's going to be a little bit unusual, the first few minutes. And I'll, I will explain. Um Excuse me. Wonderful to be with you again. If we haven't met before, my name is Peter Cavana. And um, this is my my first wife, Jane. (laughs) And um, we used to be the pastors here. And we left largely because of jokes like that. It's just my privilege to minister today and uh, greetings to all who are at home. Have you found Daniel chapter 3? Okay. Now, in a moment, we're going to hear a piece of music. So I don't want you to think, oh no, whose phone is that? It's deliberate. All right. So nobody look around going, who's left their phone on? It won't be that. Um. In Daniel chapter 3, and every Christian should hear a sermon on Daniel chapter 3 at some point. It's a great chapter of the Bible. And every preacher should preach on Daniel chapter 3 at some point. And for me, this is for me in this season, the first time I've ever preached on this chapter. Having heard other people preach on it endlessly all my life. Daniel chapter 3, let me just give you the um, tiny bit of the window of the background of what we're going to read, because it will really help you to get the fullest out of uh, this time of ministry, this time of teaching. Daniel chapter 3 is set in the country, the region of Babylon. And the main characters in the chapter are three Hebrew boys, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Tabedwigo, whatever it is, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Abednego, yeah, Abednego. And the, just to say something about these three lads, these three lads are not in their own country. Israel is their home country. 
But Israel has, you know, prior to this chapter, been attacked and overrun by the Babylonians and their armies. This story is set in Babylon where prisoners were taken from Israel uh, to Babylon. So what we have in this story are three devout, God-loving lads who are in another culture. And this chapter is about the challenge of what to do when you live, not visit, but live in an entirely different religious culture to your own. So at first glance, this chapter seems to be about a crazy king who builds a statue and demands that everyone worship it. And the three lads refuse to do so, and they get thrown into a blazing furnace, the fiery furnace. And God protects them. Oh, spoilers. They, they're okay by the end. But what I want to suggest to you is that the same kinds of features that are in this story are absolutely present in Cambridge today. And hopefully over the next 30 minutes or so, I'll be able to explain why. So I'm going to begin to read the story. And uh, I've found a very old piece of music that hopefully, we haven't really tested this. So if you hear the Spice Girls come on, they've got the wrong track. (laughs) It's supposed to be a very, very ancient piece of music. Uh, Probably not Babylonian, but uh, the nearest we could get to the period that you'll hear. Because this story is about a piece of music that gets played again and again and again uh, in the region. Okay, shall we give this a go? Let's see if we can hear some music. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. Let's see, does it play? King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high Nine feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. He summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he'd set up. And so they came. Verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. Verse 5. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, 
must fall down and worship the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever doesn't do this will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Verse 7. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the people's nations and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that the king had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down worship the image of gold and that whoever doesn't do it will be thrown into a blazing furnace verse 12 but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who pay no attention to you O king they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up furious with rage Nebuchadnezzar summoned them These men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, verse 15, When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready, To fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with them. His attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of his strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, (coughs) Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, the furnace so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement. Weren't there three men that we tied up? 
and threw into the fire? Certainly, O king. Look, he said, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their own lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. And the king promoted them in the province of Babylon. Amen. There's a little phrase used in 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Peter writing to uh, Christians that were suffering for their faith probably somewhere around the 50s AD, middle of the 50s, 57 or something. He he writes to them (coughs) and he says, you are strangers, aliens. Some translations say you are exiles and foreigners in this world. Paul writes in another place in Philippians, he says, our citizenship writing to Christians, is in heaven. And so, you know, I'm a British citizen. I used to be a bit more proud of that than I am now, but I know I'm a British citizen. (coughs) Excuse me. But I'm also a heavenly citizen. And when Peter writes to those Jews in, in 1 Peter, Calling himself an exile and an alien and a foreigner and a stranger. He's sort of alluding back to the time when the Jews were in Babylon. They were in exile. In other words, they were citizens of one place, but they had found themselves in another place. Waiting to go home. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are aliens. You know there are people who believe in aliens. 
right? All they have to do is uh, show up here on a Sunday. Right? I don't mean anyone here specifically. <laughs> you know, you know, people are looking for, oh, is there life? Are there aliens? Yes, there are. We're all here. <laughs> We're all here. We're not of this world. Can you say amen? amen? We're not of this world. We belong to another citizenship. But we are currently living in this territory. A friend of mine just recently, a member of this church, uh, was looking for citizenship in the UK. And finally, after a long time, the paperwork arrived. And she had citizenship in the UK. But as the paperwork arrived, that did not transport her to the UK. There was a journey to make before the citizenship and her feet were in the same place. That's like us. We have citizenship in heaven, but we don't live there yet. We are currently aliens and exiles in a particular place that isn't our own. Everyone understand what I mean? And so when we think about this story, This is about defying the culture in which we live. Now, defying in a respectful way, not defying in a militant way, not defying in an aggressive way, because we are peacemakers. And our fruit in our lives is love and joy and peace. Not aggression. Nevertheless, you and I are called to live differently to the culture in which we live. And we're not particularly now talking about the British culture, any culture you like. Because our citizenship is in heaven. But what we learn, and just a few things just to say about the story. Number one is that defying the culture really can be sometimes a fire. To truly go and resist the culture in which you live can get you into trouble. Now again, we're not talking about being aggressive But we're just saying, I will not bow down to that. And one of the reasons why I thought it would be fun to play that bit of music, and the idea, I hope you picked up on it, was every time I mentioned the music, it got a bit louder. And well done, team at the back, for that. It's because actually we are surrounded by sounds and vision that preach to us, accept this culture, accept this culture, bow down to it, bow down to it, or you will stand out. If you don't bow down, you're going to stand out. 
You're going to be in trouble. And most of us carry around a culture box. Oh, it's called a smartphone. That pings us and nudges us and alerts us all the time. Now, I know that we can choose what to listen to and what to watch and all this, but we are surrounded by uh, theatres, you know, uh, dramas, script writers, producers, conveying a culture different to our own. Everyone understand? We are surrounded by music with lyrics that convey a culture that is contrary to our own. And as you go to work and meet with people, these are people who are absolutely uh, intoxicated by the sound of the lyre, the harp, the zither. No idea what that is, by the way. Someone tell me later. But it sounded great to say. And, and all manner of instruments. I can see people texting me now. Everyone knows what a zither is, you fool. They're probably running it in the chat box on KCTV right now. I know you just Googled it. Don't pretend you're clever. But we're surrounded. Live this kind of lifestyle. People show up on chat shows and talk and, and the liberal values of our, of our culture. And so resisting that, I suppose I want to say this, it's going to take effort. It's not going to be default for you. And even if you have sort of uh, chiseled a life for yourself that's away from lots of telly and lots of radio, and lot, even if you are like that, still, as you interact with people, we're rubbing shoulders with a culture that's not our own. Friends, listen to me. We are aliens. Right? We are E.T. We want to phone home. God, that dates me, doesn't it? <laughs> Was that made in black and white? Was Laurel and Hardy in that? We're the aliens. And we're waiting for that heavenly transportation when the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive shall be caught up together to meet them with the Lord in the air and so we shall be forever with the Lord but that hasn't happened yet right now we're down here and every day in your life and mine and I work in a Christian environment but every day in my life, just, you know, turn on the radio, turn on the TV. By the way, I'm not saying that we shouldn't ever do this. I'm listening all the time to the news. I'm a bit of a news head. I love all that stuff. But we listen and people talking on chat shows and soapboxes and, and scripts in dramas and scripts in series and characters and the way life is portrayed. It's like the harp and the zither and the lyre and the whatever else. The pipes. Constantly playing. All day. 
And then if you, if you carry your phone around, there it is, going into you. We've, we've, we've got to get out of this idea, and I'm sure most of you would agree. We don't just listen to preaching on Sunday. We're listening to preaching all the time. But most of it isn't Christian preaching, is it? Right? It's not Christian preaching. And there are two ways to uh, convey a truth. Let's say this. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's a fact. You get that from the Ten Commandments. It's there written in stone. But then there's also... There's also the story of David and Bathsheba. The story tells you you shouldn't commit adultery. And we're surrounded by stories in soap operas and movies and music that are conveying a different way to live than the one that we're called to do. So resisting the culture can be a fire. The idea that you could go through life and not be aware of that means you're probably a prisoner of it. Do you feel alien to this world? I hope you do. I hope you do. If you don't feel alien to the world, then you must be a resident of it. Right? We don't even talk their language, do we? We even talk the language of heaven. We're aliens. We're exiles. And that's going to require us to have great courage. It might put us in a fire. And as I'm recording this, it's 2023. For those listening, watching this on YouTube 20 years from now. In 2023, we're not in Britain at risk of being thrown into a fire. But I don't know how things are going now that you're watching this in the future. Who knows? Who knows? When will it become illegal to be a Christian in this country? Or are we nearly there already? Resisting the culture can be a fire. Number two, I think the second one I had in mind was that God doesn't always keep us from the fire. And I love that about these boys. Nebuchadnezzar says to them, bow down. They say, we will not. We will not. Bow down. Again, just hear me carefully. They weren't rude. They weren't militant. They weren't abusive to him. Right? That's not how we do things. We're not political activists. We're God's sons and daughters. We're royalty. We behave ourselves with decorum, dignity. We are ambassadors for our, for our nation. Yes? But when push came to shove, the answer was no. No. There is a line. And they said to the king, this is our line. Sometimes politicians and diplomats talk about their red lines. They won't go beyond them. And we are the people of God. We have red lines, don't we? 
We do. And when push came to shove, no. You will bow down to this, no, we will not. The king looks at, yeah, but if you, if you don't do it, you'll die. Then what do they do? Okay, hear the songs we want at our funeral then. Throw us in. Our God is able to deliver us. But then that's the, that amazing line. But even if he, what? Does not. We will not bow down to you. Our God is able to protect us. But if he does not, it's still no deal with the world. No deal. No deal. We haven't got the right. We've been purchased by the Lord Jesus. We gave up that kind of decision making a long time ago. Now we belong to him. We're part of another world now. So our God is able to deliver us. But even if he does not, we won't bow down to this. And of course, there's a broader thought there, which is so wonderful. Lord, I know that you're able to heal me physically or some problem. But even if you don't, I'm still going to love you. My God is able to put a thousand pounds on my kitchen table today. And I say, Lord, if you can do that, maybe make it ten. <laughs> and I could do with a new table. My God is able to, to, to uh, provide in extraordinary ways today. But if he does not, he's still my savior. And the most important thing is that my sins have been forgiven and I'm going to spend eternity with him. I'm only passing through this world. Why should I want its pleasures? We're on a pilgrim's progress through this world. Lord, you are able to bless me. You are able to take away this terrible problem in my life. I know that. But Lord, if you will not do it, if you will not take away this problem, I want you to know today, I'm still going to worship you. I worship you because you are worthy of my praise. I'm still going to serve you. I'm still going to keep your word. Because it's the right thing to do. And I've been looking for miracles here, there and everywhere. And and they haven't come to me yet. But even though God hasn't done it yet, I'm not doing a deal. It's not, Lord, if you're good to me, I'll serve you. It's, Lord, you have been good to me. I've been to the cross of Calvary and God has been exceedingly good to me. I'll serve him. So number two, sometimes God, who is able to deliver us from fire, sometimes he, now, again, 
We've, we've read the story. Those lads do okay, don't they? But the word of God is full of mysteries. In Acts chapter 12, there's a wonderful story of how Peter is released from prison by angels. It's, it's a lovely story. They have to wake him up and, come on. <laughs> you know, he must have been tired, wasn't he? <laughs> come on, wake up. Do you think he looked at the angel and said, can we just have a snooze? Five, five minutes. <laughs> Tell me again in five minutes. That's what I do every morning. <laughs> He's released from prison. It's amazing. Acts chapter 12. But Acts chapter 12 began with James. You know, Peter, James and John. James of Peter, James and John. He has his head cut off. If I was James in heaven, presumably my head is now back on. Looking through the portals and going, uh, excuse me, just a cotton picking moment here. There seemed to be a squad of angels rescuing him. What happened to my head? <laughs> it's, it's just a mystery. God be glorified in all. My life is for the glory of God, whether long or short. Similar to what Queen Elizabeth said, whether my life is long or short, it's for your service. Whether my life is healthy or sick, it's for your service. Whether I'm wealthy or in poverty, my life is for your service. Whether I see wonderful miracles, or whether when I'm thrown into the fire, I barely last a day. Our God is able to deliver me, but if he does not, well, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name. Of the Lord. Number three. If memory serves, it's good to be in a team. <laughs> right? It's good to be in a team. Fellowship helps in the fire. There were three of them. So, you know, they had someone to look at. When we go through fires... Especially fires that are created by a hostile culture. Listen to me now. We are going to need to be together. If we're really going to do this properly, if we're really going to be exiles in this world, it's going to be a lot more than singing a bit of Christian karaoke on a Sunday, isn't it? And listening to a speaker and going home. If we really are going to resist coming persecutions and coming intolerances from our culture, we're going to have to do that together. And these three lads, they were from another culture. But when they got together, watch this, it creates uh, its own culture. This time last week, Jenny and I were ministering in a fellowship in Manchester. And it was an Indian uh, fellowship. Uh, I think Southern India, Malayalam speaking. And uh, we had a wonderful time, wonderful time. But you know, every now and then, I'd think to myself, what 
country am I in now? Because all the songs were in, in uh, another tongue and the dress was all in another, you know, you know, kind of dress. So they had created, just for the purposes of that, you know, meeting, their own national culture right there. And we enjoyed it thoroughly, including the food. Proper stuff, that. <laughs> and not 25 quid a head. <laughs> Yippee! Hallelujah. No, it's wonderful. But you see, that's what church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be we come together to celebrate and to communicate and to strengthen our Christian cultural identity. Now that doesn't create a cult, hope, I hope not. That doesn't create people who have got no idea about the culture they're engaged with. But fellowship is helpful in a fire. When you're going through difficulty, it's true for all of us, the most psychologically uh, uh, um, persuasive thing to do is to run a mile, <laughs> but often in the wrong direction. The church is supposed to be a place that we're supposed to run to when we're in trouble, not run from when we're in trouble. Because it's supposed to be a place where we feel at home. Right? Culturally at home. Because the culture of a church should be the culture of the kingdom of heaven that is yet to come and yet already is. Jesus said to those thinking the kingdom of God would come, the kingdom of God is among you or is within you. At one time he said the kingdom of God is at hand. Something that's at hand means you can reach it with your arm. It's at hand. Hallelujah. So I want to encourage us as we go forward and things become difficult. Look, it's amazing. <coughs> These advances in technology, the fact that people are watching me somewhere else, not even in this room. But long term, church is not supposed to be a digital medium. It's supposed to be a physical, face-to-face fellowship. And uh, I know there are various reasons why people can't attend. I get that. And people watch different services from all around the world, etc. So it's not that it's wrong. Let's preach the word of God to whoever will hear it. But if you are watching me today and you are not in a physical church, and you could be, you should be. Because it's about having fellowship. It's about having fellowship. Even as we break bread, we're supposed to do it as a community. It's not a singular thing. It's something we do together. So fellowship helps in the fire. Really does. And finally, the most obvious one, but let's say it. We meet God in the fire. I thought we put three men in there. <laughs> I thought there were three men in the fire. 
I see four. <laughs> I see four men in the fire. And the fourth one, he looks like the son of the gods. We learn later that most likely this was an angel. But people are not really sure who that fourth one was. Was it Jesus? Was it the Lord himself? Had God sent his angel? Whichever is the case, they met God in that fire. Listen to me. Fire isn't always a bad idea in our lives. I'm talking about fire that we don't like. I'm not talking about Holy Ghost fire, Pentecostal fire, being on fire for Jesus. If you really want to meet Jesus, sometimes you have to be in the fire with Jesus, not just on fire for Jesus. They were thrown into a blazing fire. And in the fire, that is where God revealed himself. Now let me take that in two different directions as I begin to think about praying for you. Number one, notice at the end of the story, the king says, wow, this is amazing. And then he says, right. And it's quite, it's quite a political speech, actually. This isn't something you would expect from Liz Truss. He says, I decree, verse 29, that anyone who speaks against their God shall be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar has been deeply sanctified by this experience. I don't think he's become all cuddly. But he says this. Wow. Because these men have endured the fire. Let me put it in our language. The gospel went worldwide. It didn't go worldwide until they resisted the culture. When they resisted the culture, their story, in this case of not sacrifice, ultimately anyway, but of, but of deliverance. Now everyone had to know about their God. Everyone just look at me a moment. Listen, you know this thing. People are watching us. People are watching us. Your people are, your friends at work. They're more colleagues, okay? Your colleagues at work. They're watching us. People are watching. What are we going to do? Who are we? What country are we from? What's our citizenship? They're watching us. And God will be made known. Not because we capitulate to sin, but because we resist it. A church should by all means be seeker friendly. A church should by all means be sinner friendly. But a church can never be sin friendly. We have red lines. And as we resist a culture, it makes God known. It's a form of evangelism. Again, I'm talking about the sweetness of our spirit. The gentle and polite way to say, no, 
I serve Jesus. I don't do that. It doesn't have to be antagonistic. It doesn't have to be confrontational. But it makes God known. Be different. You're not of them. I'm not of them. When we hang around with them, be careful. Remain true to Christ. Don't compromise with the culture. So it's one way that God is made known. But here's the second way. It's this. Sometimes the way that God really reveals himself to us is through our sufferings. Paul understood it all too well. Paul was a bit crazy, you know, St. Paul. A little, little bit on the way out their side. Because Paul understood that the more he suffered for Christ, sort of the nearer it got him to Christ. Now, I'm not suggesting people should deliberately try to suffer. Please don't do that at all. But where we are resisted, Jesus said, they've hated me and they'll hate you. If they've rejected me, they're going to reject you. And so sometimes when we are rejected, that's that's getting us nearer to him. Now we are with him. But more than that, in our general trials, in our general sufferings, how many of you have, and you don't have to raise your hand, but I know it'll be many, went through an experience of the most terrible stuff. It's a chapter, boy oh boy, you would never have written it in your own life. If you'd said, Lord, this is what I want, this year coming up, I want this. You would never have put it on the table. Never. In fact, you prayed it wouldn't happen. (laughs) You said, Lord, please keep me from this. But something terrible happened to you. And it was terrible. It's, It's not light. It wasn't momentary. And it wasn't easy. But because you went down into that valley, you met him. Is that right? In a way that you would never have met him before. Valleys do that to us. Even Psalm 23 does it. The psalmist begins by talking about God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down. But notice this. He, he, the Lord is. He does this. He does this. And he talks about God. But then when he says this, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And then the language changes. For you are with me. Suddenly in the valley, he stops talking about God. And he starts talking to God. Right there in that psalm that you've read a thousand times. And for the rest of the psalm, you anoint my head. You prepare a t- Now he's talking to God. But the thing that took him to God was not the green pastures. It was the valleys. Who wants to go to a valley? Nobody. 
praying to get out of the valley, getting insurance so I don't have to go down the valley, planning my whole life so I don't have to go through a valley. Plan forever. Spend all sorts of money to avoid a valley. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Valley time. Happy valley. We meet God in our fires. Sometimes I've been sick as a as sick as a dog. As sick as a dog that hasn't been to the vet. And the Lord has revived me with the flu on a bed. Or I've been through pain. Or mental health stretch, you know, stress. And you meet God there. You meet him there in a way that you don't meet him in any other way. People spend thousands and thousands of pounds to go to various Christian events, fly around the world, get Brother Dingling to pray for me, get a prophecy from Brother Doodab, stretch out your hand, send $30 and get a holy hanky sent to you. You want to know what I, I, I just recommend? Blow your nose on it and send it back. Thank you. People do all sorts of things. But there's nothing like the way God works to show us himself. The end of the book of Job, Job says this, after that terrible year of suffering he has, he says, I'd heard of you with the hearing of my ears. But now my eyes have seen you. The Lord is my shepherd. Oh, I love him. Yeshua. But then in the fire, now I'm face to face with the Lord. So I want to encourage us. The worship team can come back if you like, guys. I want to encourage us. Resisting culture is a, can be a fire. Let's do it. It's scary, isn't it? Yes, let's do it. Takes effort. Yes, let's do it. Because we're not of this world. We are the aliens. We are the aliens. Did you find that rather funny, Joe. <laughs> Does she do this often? I'm just glad I hit the notes. I want to read just a piece of the scripture to you as we finish. And then band, it's over to you. First Peter chapter 4. 
I'm sure First Peter was in my Bible at some stage. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Verse 12. Dear friends, and remember this wonderful connection between the epistle of Peter, the first one, and being an exile and struggling in another world that's not your own. It really does dovetail together. And First Peter 4 verse 12 could have been written to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Look at it. Dear friends, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, you shouldn't be as a murderer, a thief, a criminal, or as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it's time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? It's hard for the righteous to be saved. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Stand together. Thank you, Lord. Say this after me. I am a foreigner here. Say this. This is not my home. Heaven's my home. I'm passing through. say this, Lord, I will not bow down to an ungodly culture. I will resist, even if it causes me trouble, even if you don't deliver me, I will not bow down. I will find friends to be with. I will find fellowship. But most of all, in the fire, I will find you. I will find you.
Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and pray in the Holy Ghost. I want to pray that you be strengthened. Strengthened. But come on, let's lift our voices. We are Shadrach. We are Abednego. We are in the fire together. The fire of this world. Let's lift our voices. Say, Amama Tikera in the name of Jesus, I pray you will be strengthened in your workplace, in your family. I pray that you will not, uh, you, that you will not bow down to the ways of this world, but that you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Lord, help us to not to become bigots. Help us not to be despised for the wrong reason. But Lord, if we are insulted because of your name, we are blessed. We are blessed. And so Lord, I pray as we hear the sound of the harp and the lyre and the zither and all manner of instruments. Lord, as we hear that all the time from our phones, from the TV and from the radio and from the media and from our friends, from our family and from our culture and from our education. We say this, we are foreigners and exiles in this world. Lord, our citizenship is in heaven. And so in Jesus' name I pray that you will be strengthened right now. Lift your hands and receive. I strengthen you by the grace of God to preach the gospel in a foreign land, in a foreign culture, that we remain strong, faithful to Jesus. Faithful to his word. Come Holy Spirit. May the spirit of Christ. And the spirit of glory. Rest on us. As we just read. In that epistle. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you Lord. Thank you for listening. And we trust that the word of God. Has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.